and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to do a little 2021 in review show. So if you would like to call in and talk about your 2021, or if you got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to discuss that's happening in your farm right now, We'd love to take your phone call. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com. So when I think about 2021, I just think about the word change. There was massive change in our industry. Everything from commodity prices went way up, fertilizer prices went way up, um, chemical went up a little bit. We had a couple of things that went way up like Liberty and Roundup. And one of the biggest things for crop input suppliers last spring was the first year that I, I can ever remember. I mean, I'm just going to say in 50 years that that retailers couldn't get manufacturers to honor the prices that they had paid for much earlier. There was a lot of this term called force majeure that was thrown about in our industry. Well, force majeure is an act of God. And so basically companies were saying, well, it's an act of God that we can't honor our contract. Now, I don't know if I buy that, but that's really what happened. And so for a lot of us on the farm, we had to pay a little bit more for our inputs because we had all these people declaring force majeure and we couldn't get the the products that we wanted at the prices that we thought we had paid paid for. So anyway, uh, that was a little bit frustrating. In terms of the the year, it really varied, and, and it always does, because keep in mind, we're talking to a big audience here, Canada and the United States. <laughs> so it's going to vary from hot to cold, wet to dry every single year. I'll just talk about my specific area right here where we farm in southeast South Dakota. It's one of the driest years we've ever had. Yet the yields turned out surprisingly well. I was talking to a farmer about this a couple nights ago and he goes, you know, that seed must be really good. Plus, he goes, we're probably a lot smarter than we used to be. And I'd agree with both of those things. We're better farmers today than we were 30 years ago. And the seed is a lot better than it was 30 years ago. Plus, Timely rains, timely, is really everything. It's timeliness on when the heat comes, when the wind comes, when the rain comes. So it's not so much what you look at in total or what you think about for the whole year. It's about what happens at the critical stages of growth and how do we treat that plant at the critical stages of growth. So anyway, we'll talk a little about 2021, the year in review. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Hey, Brian, we're talking about building organic matter. And one of the things that we talk about is using manure or compost, that that can be useful. And Frank said, well, I agree with you on your manure comment. Some crops like potatoes here in Canada are not allowed to use manure in the fields. Hey, you're absolutely right. There are going to be some some times and places for different sources of of fertility and, and different ways to build up organic matter. And, and we gave a number of different solutions there that you could do, but I appreciate the comment, Frank. Uh, I got this one in from Andrew. He said, uh, you guys talk about grazing corn stalks. It's come to the point in our area where I think some people raise corn just so they have a place to put the cows in the fall to winter to have them out there feeding on the corn stalks. Yeah, I agree with you. In some areas, it's a really, really popular thing. Uh, Craig said, I uh, was listening to Quick Dick McDick, and he said, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, guys. So that ditch care topic was important. 
Yep, we do talk a lot about that. And what's interesting is we've gotten so many comments back about ditches. Mark said, how do utility companies burying cables in the roadside enter into this picture, particularly when they can damage an irrigation pipe and so forth? Uh, in some areas, it seems like they act like you're not supposed to be out there, but uh, aren't utility companies supposed to be able to locate those things? Well, for the most part. So let me just give you an example off our farm. We had to do some boring with a tile line underneath a state highway. And what they made us do is run a, and don't quote me on this, I don't remember exactly because this is quite a few years ago. I think it was a copper wire along with it. So then they could detect it when they were doing locates and then they literally put it on their map. But if, let's say, you're a farmer and you just throw some tile somewhere in the ditch, outlets, wherever, and it's never reported to anybody, well, they don't they don't know that. So when they don't know that, then they're not even going to look for that, and it's just, it's done. So when any anybody doing locates is out doing that, they can't sense anything because they can't sense that there's a plastic pipe in the ground. They're looking for something metal. So if you wanted it to be located, then you could let people know. You could even report it to the one call services and you could put a copper wire or some type of something that would get picked up by those locates. And that absolutely would help. I got this feedback here from Emery in Minnesota. And he said, just giving you some feedback on some of the rules around roads and ditches in our state. Uh, if you hit a steer on the road, the rancher would be liable for damages. If that happened in yep. Wyoming, you would be responsible to go pay the rancher for his lost stock. So the rules are different. In Minnesota, we own our roads, uh, but we don't pay land tax on the road right away, which is 66 feet. Township roads are often or are also covered under a liability insurance provided by the Minnesota, Minnesota Association of Townships. So if a farmer is making hay in the ditch and leaves a bale that somebody runs into, the liability falls on the township and they're the ones that carry the insurance. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff there. Thanks for sharing those rules, Emory. That's That, that adds to the discussion. And that's just a good point that you need to learn the rules for your particular area. So when when you start talking about township roads and the, that last comment there was perhaps the most important one, it's the liability of things. So what do you do near or next to your fields that could potentially create a liability issue for you? And are you protected or is your township protected or whatever? So anyway, yeah, it's you, you just have to learn and and I, sometimes you ha you just have to run into the right people and ask the right questions. So it's not like somebody just gives you a handbook and says, "Oh, here are all the rules that go along with your area when you're buying land out in the countryside." You got to figure a little bit of this stuff out yourself. Well, as we near year end, we're going to take 2021 in review on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush -flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just doing a little 2021 year in review. And first on the show, we've got Tony Wendler. He is with Farm Shop MFG down in Iowa. Tony, how are you today? I am excellent. How are you gentlemen this afternoon? Fantastic. So we're talking about 2021. What's the number one lesson that you learned in 2021? Actually, I've got to say, surprisingly, how hybrids have improved over the last years for the dry conditions we experienced. I was extremely pleasantly impressed with performance and surprised. Crops did way better than I would have thought. Yep, I agree with you there. Now, I hate to give too much credit to the hybrids, Tony. I got to be honest, because I don't want to pay more for my seed corn. And <laughs> so I, I usually will say, oh, I think we're just a lot better farmers. But anyway, yeah, okay. yeah <laughs> yes. Hey, I think I, I like, hey, hey, Brian, I like your style. It's always <laughs> good to own this. These results were so good because I am great. Yes, it's good. You just... Hey, when it, when it worked out, just own it, right? <laughs> but seriously, I mean, you look at all the other things that we have improved on the farm in the last 30 years, everything from we're a lot better at weed control, insect control, disease control, fertility, and the equipment's improved a lot too. So, I mean, talk to us a little bit about like your experience with the equipment and the equipment you work with there at Farm Shop MFG about how that does improve planting. Well, obviously when you improve planting, you improve yield at the end of the season? Well, one of the things that we saw, our conditions were dry down where I was at. The, uh, the component of our closing wheel was that inner shoulder where it firmed the soil down. So we create this firm vein of soil right there next to the firm soil, moist soil below. Uh, I think had a very strong impact on getting seeds to, uh, the moisture to wick up and get the seeds to uh, germinate. I'd seen conditions with other wheels where they were actually doing a good job of pushing loose soil to the seed, 
but they didn't firm it. And uh, consequently, without that moisture wicking up or the loose soil allowing the moisture to evaporate away too easily, they didn't emerge as fast. So I look at that as being a very positive component that I really saw and uh, in different, uh, different locations that I thought was pretty positive, uh, you know, nice implications to that. Yeah, I agree the, with you. Uh, I agree with you on that. And then that brings me to the next thing that we did on our farm this year. We planted just a little bit deeper than normal so we could hit moisture or at least be closer to moisture so it could wick up because there were a lot of people that planted at their normal depth, at least around us here, where we were super dry and the seed was very inconsistently germinating. So then you had some plants up and some other plants not up. You want to try to get those plants up pretty evenly to get the best yield. Yeah, I, you got to go out there when you get the planter in the field, go into what's normal soil. And end rows are a little bit tougher to judge in. But get out there into the field and get back there and dig and see if you're getting those seeds at the moisture or just above the moisture zone. If you're totally planting dry dirt and you've got a, a large band of dry dirt below, you got to consider what happens if I put this a little, different, little bit deeper. Soybeans... Here's a point you can go with soybeans. Soybeans, I planted uh, deeper. Uh, corn uh, worked out this year. Uh, quick question, how deep would you go with corn? You know, I know there's one thing on not getting your corn too deep, and you obviously don't want it yeah. too shallow. So two and a half inches is usually the deepest we like people going, but we went three inches with some stuff this year. The main reason why you don't go deeper is because you worry about the energy it takes to get out of the ground and especially more crusting yep. risk. Well, if you're bone dry, there's zero crusting risk. And yeah. uh, in terms of taking more energy to get out, when you get into that very dry soil that's in the top couple inches, it doesn't take much to push through that. So it, our, our, our rule of two and a half inches is really two and a half inches under normal soil conditions. When you get to drier soil conditions, you can go deeper without losing yield. And I think we proved that this year. Hey, Tony, thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. And have a, have a happy new year. Thank you, you gentlemen, too. Happy New Year. If you want to learn more about what Tony is doing at Farm Shop MFG, just go to farmshopmfg.com. Next, we got Josh calling in from up in North Dakota. Josh, how are you doing today? Good, how about you? Doing great. So I, I asked Tony this question, but what's the biggest thing you learned from 2021? <laughs> well, isn't that a million-dollar <laughs> question? I, I can tell you what I learned off the hand off 20. 2020 with no question, but this year is probably a little different. What, what, I'm, I'm you, glad hey, I had a longer... Ma- go back to 2020 then. What was your biggest thing in 2020? So we had uh, really wet conditions and really late seeding. Yep. And uh, if I'm going to do that, we're going to seed our beans before our wheat if I hit a 20th of May start date again. Oh, yep. Okay. And that's just, you you lose so much yield from yeah. the beginning of May seeding wheat, but you don't the end of May. Might as well seed your beans first because you lose it by the beginning of June. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it stinks because we know for all crops, late planting hurts. But what do you do when you're super wet and it is getting late? Okay. So 21, you started to say something about longer maturity. Is that what you were going to get into? You know, we got, uh, that was probably the one saving grace I had on had, uh, on soybeans. They, they must have caught the last of the rain and they did an average crop instead of a below average crop. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was an yep. earlier seeding date, so it uh, helped put in longer ones. And I mean, they were everything. Our wheat came up really stagey, and oh, 
Here's the biggest thing I learned. <laughs> sure. Fungicide, even in a dry year. Yep. Fungicide, even in a dry year. Um, all of us skipped our fungicide because our wheat came up stagey and it looked yeah. terrible. Yeah. And a couple of guys that did it, 15 bushel bump using fungicide, even on stagey wheat. So we're going to be doing an Ag PhD wheat workshop in just a couple of weeks. And so I asked about 50 agronomists, okay, give me your top three tips for high yield in wheat. And I can't tell you how many times I heard that exact same thing. North Dakota, Minnesota, all over the place. Guys are like, I don't know why it paid so good. But even in this dry year, the fungicide paid well. So I, thought, I think it's interesting that you brought that up. At what timing did that get sprayed? Was that early? Was it late when they sprayed the fungicide? It would have been head, or a heading. Most guys only do heading. Yeah, gotcha. Where, well, not heading. They do they do a herbicide. Nobody does flag leaf um, where I'm at. I'm going to try some next year because yeah. why not? Yep. Our, uh, probably my most exciting thing, you know, for having a down crop, we had a good year, is I'm going to start trying things. I've got a buddy of mine that's going to help me next year, and we're going to just try little things because... We might as well try something. You know, you bring up yeah. that flag leaf timing. So I was just saying I, I sent this out to like 50 agronomists that I know. And I'll bet you, seriously, half of them had as one of their three things, get more guys to do flag leaf fungicide because they're high yield guys. That's where they're getting the best yield. So anyway, yeah, that, that that's certainly something that we talk to people about trying. So do you use a, like a generic or, I mean, I can't imagine we're using uh uh, Mervis Ace at Flag Leaf. I'm assuming we're using more of a generic well, fungicide at that timing. Not not Mervis Ace, but something else. Whether it's uh, let's say it's a Quilt, it's Stratego, um, it's it's usually a two mode of action product. That maybe even Nexacore. But guys are running the fuller the full rate at Flag Leaf at the at the herbicide timing. They're running half rate. But that plant is okay. almost fully grown at the Flag Leaf timing. But that Flag Leaf's the most important leaf on the wheat. And just exactly like you described, most of the people I work with, they just say, "Well, it's only a little while from Flag Leaf to heading, so I'll just wait till heading." So I get that. That, that timing too, but unfortunately we miss some yield in that timing. So it, when we, we we go through trials, so we do a lot of training for agronomists too, and this is one of the things. Just looking at trials, the flag leaf timing almost always gives the most yield gain. Yet that's when the fewest number of people actually spray. So anyway, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It got me thinking about that again too. Hey uh, Josh, we get to run, but thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it, uh, and we certainly wish you a happy new year. Yep, you too. Thanks. You bet. Thank you. All right. Again, today we're doing a little 2021 year in review, but if you've got any questions for us, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. In our area, 2021 was a little bit challenging, but I got to admit, I was pretty happy that the crop prices uh, stayed pretty good through the year and seemed to get even better here as we got toward year end. So anyway, we'll talk about crop prices and a number of other things with 2021 right after this. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. This message is for all the corn and soybean growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton Studio, just doing a little 2021 year in review and answering your questions. Next on the show, we got Jared calling in from Illinois with a question for us. Jared, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Brian. How about yourself? Excellent. So I hear you want to talk about pre-emerge corn herbicides? Yes. Uh, I have a grower who's retailers applying a split shot of Acuron uh, and they my question is what you would advise to uh, uh, splice in with that to get them up to a full rate of group 15 uh, since they are doing the they're doing a full rate of Acuron uh, part pre-emerge part post-emerge. Okay well first of all when when we talk full rate are you saying three quarts of Acuron just something like a quart and a half early and then a quart and a half late or what exactly exactly that's okay. what they're talking about doing okay gotcha so what that's going to give you in three quarts of acuron is about 27 ounces 
of dual two magnum. So that's a it, it, it's a it's a pretty decent rate. It's maybe just a hair low, but not much. Now let me ask you this: Why do you want the group? Why do you want more Group Fifteen? What are you after here in terms of weeds? Well, this is a non-GMO corn, so we're looking for the grass control up front. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is you want this quart and a half of Acuron, and you want that spiked, so you've got in effect the full rate of a Group Fifteen. Correct. Now I understand. Okay. And that makes complete sense because this is what we always tell people, look, with non-GMO corn or <laughs> back 25 years ago, we used to just call it corn because that's all there was. Um, <laughs> we, we really encourage people to use a full rate of a group 15 pre-emerge. And the reason why is because post-emerge, you don't have any great rescue options. You got accent and that's it. Now, there is Accent Q today that's got a safener in it, so that part's nice. But if you don't get that grass when it's an inch or two tall, you're not going to get it. And on top of that, you've already lost some yield when that grass comes up at all. So we just, we don't... And, and this particular retailers want to charge about 40 bucks an acre to apply Accent Q. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So anyway, um, what I would do is I'd probably just spike it with some more Dual 2 Magnum if you wanted to. You don't have to, but just so you know, the quart and a half of Acuron is going to get you just over 13 ounces of Dual 2 Magnum. So if you're trying to get up okay. to... Yep, up to the full rate, up to 32 or whatever. Just subtract the one from the other and you got it. Now, I, I will say, as a total program, I don't love doing Acuron twice. And here, here are two reasons why. Number one, I don't like any atrazine ever pre-emerge because almost all the atrazine ever found in groundwater has been traced back to pre-emerge use. So just for all of us as farmers to keep atrazine on the market longer, I just tell people, look, use it post-emerge, and then you don't have all that environmental risk. It has nothing to do with agronomics, everything to do with the environment and just that we don't want to lose more chemistries like we lost Lorsban this year, all because of, you know, in in our opinion, using it in a riskier fashion. So that's a, one reason why I wouldn't do the split. The second reason is, if you're, if you're doing this, now you're using an HPPD twice. And I'm just not a real huge fan of that. You got a lot of HPPD out there. If you have normal rainfall, it's probably okay for the carryover situation in your area in Illinois. But for me, I, there's no possible chance I'd do it because I'm going to end up with carryover, in my opinion, in a lot of cases. And the other risk that I have is resistant weeds. So if I'm I'm doing the same three modes of action, HPPD, Group 15, Atrazine, I'm doing that pre and I'm doing it post, it's like, why? I mean, I, I, I if it's me, I would rather throw something else in there somehow, some way, but, you know, totally up to any individual farmer or agronomist what they want to do but that that's kind of the way I look at things so I usually pick a little different combination but anyway uh, those are just my that's my two cents I I agree a hundred percent I just wish we get a little more cooperation from the other side of the coin <laughs> yep but we got to keep talking about it and hopefully we make some headway in the long run hey Jared thanks a lot for calling in today hope that exactly. helped thank you sir appreciate it you bet Let's go out to Colorado next. Got Mitch calling in from there. Hey, Mitch, how are things in Colorado today? Oh, doing all right, Brian. About as dry as can be. All right. So I've asked everybody who's, yeah, that, that's about the same way we are here. Uh, I've asked about everybody so far on the show today. What was your number one thing that you learned coming out of 2021 on the farm? 
Um, you know, that's hard to tell. Um, so it, I, I can't went into 2021 knowing fertilizer was getting expensive. Yep. I mean, it already kind of was getting expensive toward the first of the year. Yep. So I kind of started to cut anyway. And it turns out that, I mean, I was able to do about as much as I usually can mm-hmm. with a lot less fertilizer and that helped. And I think that that's going to probably help mm-hmm. when fertilizer is more expensive rolling mm-hmm. into next year. So, so, I mean, so in turn, so based everything like that definitely is going to be key moving forward, especially with higher fertilizer prices. Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you brought in the soil test thing. So what are you finding on your ground that you had enough to get by already in a lot of cases or why were you able to cut and still get good yield? Well, I mean, it's a lot of things. Uh, I was starting, I'd just kind of been throwing in silly micros just cause and really finding on soil tests that there's a lot of good things there through ratios and all that, oh, that mm-hmm. I really just wanted to use those. Yep. So. Yep. <laughs> I hear and you. I mean, it doesn't seem like mining per se, but it still mines a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what really is, but I mean, really all you're fertilizing at the end of the day is nitrogen and a little bit of phosphorus just to uh, make the plant grow. Yeah. <laughs> well, in terms of mining things out, there's a time to do it and there's a time not to do it. Well, if you look at our fertilizer prices today, it's more than triple what we paid last fall. More than triple in like 14 or 15 months. So last year was the time to build. This year's probably, the, unfortunately, the time to mine. So hopefully you got something that's built up there that you can mine out. But tell us a little bit about the soil test thing. What, what have you learned as you've done more soil testing over the years? Has there been anything that's really stood out to you on your farm? Uh, not really absolutely stood out. Um, I have a lot of K that likes to show up in soil tests. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it's base saturation levels like higher than what you would usually talk about being at. I think you were saying about that 8% range, something yep. like that. Yep. Yep. So, and I mean, it seems like adding that K seems to do good, but I don't, it doesn't seem to be going away. Sure. <laughs> So yeah, I'm and not sure what to do on that one. Well, I, I will say just naturally in most soils, there's a ridiculous amount of potassium. The problem is it's not in a form available for the plant. And so maybe some of that's just coming available every year for you somehow, some way. I don't know. But, you know, so there are some of these questions where I don't necessarily care about the why. I just care about, hey, I got lots of fertility there. I'm going to be happy about it and I'm going to move on and invest my dollars into something else. So your, your first dollar on the farm, you were just saying nitrogen and phosphorus. And you, if you're doing those two things, that's usually getting you by in your operation, at least for now. Exactly. Yep. So like with phosphorus, are you doing that? Uh, with a planter? Are you doing it with, if you're doing any small grain, like with a, an air seeder? Or how are you, pu- are you broadcasting the phosphorus? What are you doing? With small grains, I'm usually putting it right behind the drill. It's pretty much coming, yeah, it's pretty much coming right behind the drill out, out the row unit. Yep. So, and I mean, that's running with, in blended 10, just regular old 1034 and 32 blended in there to make it good, so. Yep. That's right. usually what I've found in about a gallon of about a gallon, 
10340 does about what I need for it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, whatever's working. So anyway, glad to hear that, uh, that you're getting that thing figured out. Yeah, I know it's a real challenge when fertilizer prices are high, but like I tell a lot of people, I don't necessarily care what I spend. I do care a lot about what I make, though. So I'm glad you're analyzing that and trying to figure out where your dollars are best spent. Hey, uh, Mitch, it's been great right. talking to you today. Thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it, and Happy New Year. All right. Thanks, Brian. Have a good one. Yep, you too. All right, talking 2021 year in review. And yeah, it's the, the reason why I, I love doing our show. Well, one of the reasons I love doing our show is we get to talk to people from all over. And obviously, conditions are going to be a lot different, like for Mitch in Colorado, than for uh, for somebody calling from Illinois or from Ontario in Canada or down from down in Texas. So everybody's got a little different situation. That's why we do encourage you a soil test, run some trials in your farm. We'll talk more about that right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. 
Conditioning low moisture beans to 13% can add semi loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Back. This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting from the Morton studio today, just doing a little 2021 year in review. I'm going to go right back to the phone lines. we got Kevin calling in from North Central Iowa. And Kevin, let me start you out with this. First of all, welcome to the show. But here's my question of the day. What's the number one thing you learned on the farm in 2021? You don't have to worry about rainfall. Now, now, Kevin, <laughs> that, yeah, I, you, honest, <laughs> we went through a pretty dry year yep. and the, the yields we got at the end of the harvest was, wow, where did that come from? Okay. So I, I do a lot of uh, talks to farmers throughout the year and I have for many, many years and I use some Bible verses quite often when I finish. And the most, my, my favorite one, it always has to do with don't worry about anything. And I say this to farmers all the time, but it's inherent that if you're a farmer, you're going to worry about almost everything. Weather is number one. Rainfall is right up at that, at the top of the list. So you say, don't worry about rain, but I, I mean, for most farmers, give give them give them a little more information here. Why why should people not worry so much about the rain? Because yeah, this is one year. But I mean, do you think that we can get by if it was two years in a row, for example? Well, this last summer we went into the spring wet. Yep. You know. Yep. And everybody was planting early because well they're predicting rain they're predicting rain i waited until soil conditions were right yep i went out planted i think we got one inch and a half rain all summer long wow i mean the rest of them were in the thousands um i think maybe a couple of tents here and there yep when we harvested this fall i had anywhere from 198 bushel corn all the way up to 400 and or 248 bushel corn. Yeah. Yeah, we had some 270 on our farm, and we had so little rain, it was unbelievable. We averaged, I think, 210 by the time I figured everything, but we'd taken some of our best stuff out already for silage. But anyway, yeah, I'm with you that the rainfall isn't as important, but I will say this. Humidity levels were actually still pretty good, and this is one of the things we've been talking about for the last quite a few years. Even if you don't have rain, at least if you have humidity, it seems like the crop can still do fairly well. Yeah, and and the beans, we were up there, I think, average across the 570 acres was 68 bushel the acre. Nice. But we had heavy dews. It was one yep. of those things, well, I wanted to mow lawn in the morning. I got to wait until noon before... The dew went off, and yep. I've always said a good heavy dew is just as good as a rain. Yep, yep. No, I agree with you. Hey, uh, in in terms of crop production management, was there anything that you did this year that stood out, whether it was fertility or fungicide or weed control, anything? Was there, was there some practice where you say, boy, I did that last year, and I'm glad I did. I'm going to do that again. Well, you know, I heard that there was going to be a shortage on fungicide. So in February, I bucked my fungicide along with an insecticide to be sprayed on with an airplane. Yep. I think that was one of the best things that I could do uh, because then they kept an eye on the crop 
and the right timing was right yep and things that way and then uh for the last few years i've always been putting out the 60 pounds of potash with some uh gypsum yep. for the soybeans and last couple years i've been side dressing with a nitrogen tool bar yep um you know just when it's about waist high sure and i think those things just with this year and everything all added up to okay that's that was where we got our yield from yeah yep i'm with you it, I, I will say too and and kind of like what you started with don't worry so much about rain it's encouraging when the weather seems like it's against you a little bit yet you can still raise a good crop yeah you know and it, it's kind of like I farm with my brother-in-law and nephew, and where is this corn coming from? <laughs> and it's out there. You know, you just got to find room for it. Yep. So. Yep. No, I agree. All right. Hey, Kevin, it's been great talking to you today. Really appreciate the positive words, and we're certainly hoping that 2022 turns out even better than 2021 did. So have a happy new year. Thanks again for calling Hi. in. Hope to talk to you again soon. I will talk to you soon and things that way and look forward to uh, trying to get together in person at, at one of your uh, meetings. So, Yep, sounds real good. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin mentioned our meetings or workshops that we have coming up. We do have a number of those. If you go to our website at agphd.com, it runs through the whole schedule. And I mentioned this earlier in the show, but in just a couple of weeks, we've got a wheat workshop that's coming up. And then immediately, the, the, the two days following that will be our two-day soils clinic. So it's January 11th is a wheat workshop. Two days then for a soils clinic, January 12th and 13th. Then on January 31st, we're doing a tiling clinic. And the very next day, February 1st, we're doing a corn workshop. Then February 15th, the soybean workshop. And February 16th, the naturals workshop. So all these are free if you'd like to join us right on our farm. It's right actually at the Ag PhD Field Day site near Baltic, South Dakota. So we're just 10 miles north of Sioux Falls. Uh, and right near Interstate 90 and Interstate 29. But anyway, if you come in person, I I, I just, I, I always think people get a lot more out of it than you can certainly watch on live stream. So if you, uh, for any of our Ag PhD magazine subscribers, the Ag PhD Insider, you can uh, you can watch these uh, these webinars that we will do the live streams, but again, I just think you're going to get more out of it if you come because in part you've made the commitment to do it and then you don't have all the other distractions of trying to sit at home and watch something on a screen for hours on end especially the soils clinic that's the one where i just say this think about how expensive fertilizer is today and if you know even one more thing that could help you on the fertility aspect it could be potentially tens of thousands of dollars, if not even hundreds of thousands of dollars in income for your farm over your farming career. And we're going to spend two full days at our soils clinic, January 12th and 13th. We'll have probably 50 very well-trained soils agronomists there to help you read through your soil tests. And we'll talk about how to read the soil test and actually get dive deep into fertility 
and help you try to figure out, okay, where should my dollars really go? What do I really need here? What's high? What's low? What what am I shooting for? What do I need for wheat versus corn versus soybeans? There's just a lot to talk about with this. It's a big topic, and that's why we just thought, you know what, we're going to take a couple of days. A lot of times we've done soils clinics in one day, but we have a lot of people that leave and they're like, well, that was great, but can you give me more? <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. And it's not like day two is going to repeat day one. No, we're covering new stuff on day two. So you want to you want to join us for those two days. Again, that's January 12th and 13th. But even before that, come for the January 11th wheat workshop if you are a wheat producer. I was making the comment earlier in the show, I, I, I was... I wanted to know from a bunch of really good agronomists that I know, what are your top things for your high-yield wheat producers? And what questions do wheat farmers have most for you as an agronomist out in the field? And so I asked about 50 agronomists, and they gave me some great stuff. And most of the stuff I, I probably would have thought about probably would have included in our wheat workshop. But there were several things where I'm like, ooh, that's a great idea. Or that's an excellent question that I wasn't going to be covering. So we got some really good stuff for you at the wheat workshop as well. Again, all this is at agphd.com. You can check out the schedule there. Please join us. And also, if you can, please pre-register. That just helps us because we put together an agronomy book for you. We have food for you. we got to make sure we've got everything set up in our room. And, and we can have about 1,000 farmers there at the Morton Center on the Ag PhD Field Day site. It's a facility we built just a few years ago for the field day, but then we use it throughout the year doing trainings and, and workshops like this. All right, so today we're talking a little about 2021 year in review. If you've got any more on that or if you have any questions for us, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Right after our break, we're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. 
Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we are in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always just email us radio at agphd.com. Uh, let's jump into a lime question here. This one comes from Trevor. All right, guys, uh, need some help here. We've got excess lime in our soil. And we've got an 8.3 pH. We would like to lower that pH, and sulfuric acid appears to be our best option. Just curious, have you used that? Have you got any words of advice? We've used elemental sulfur. It's just a slower process. (laughs) Never use sulfuric acid. Sounds super dangerous to me. We can basically create that with elemental sulfur. The two key things I would tell you when you say elemental sulfur is slow obviously it's going to be slower the colder it is and the less rain you have. So we can't change that. But what we can change are these two things. Number one, you have to have great drainage before you use elemental sulfur. If you don't have great drainage, forget it. You're wasting your time and money. And number two, you want to have an elemental sulfur that has a very fine particle size. It's the exact same conversation we have with anybody who's going to use lime. If you have a large particle size and it doesn't dissolve well in water, it could take years, and I mean years, like five, six, seven, eight years for your elemental sulfur to break down, and it just sounds to me like that's not what you're looking for. Also, in the meantime, even at an 8.3 pH, you can still raise good crop. You got to have the right fertility. You got to do everything you can to control weeds, insects, diseases, because let's face it, your crops already going to be under enough stress. Don't give it any more stress. All right. Get a drain tile. We actually got a few drain tile questions. Uh, Larry says this, he goes, you guys farm in South Dakota. You don't get much precipitation. Right. Why do you have a water table high enough to influence the production of corn or soybeans? We just do. I, I, I mean, we have heavy soil. We apparently get enough rainfall. But, you know, here's the thing you got to think about. Our temperature is colder. So even at 
the hottest day of the year. The hottest day of the year. I want you to think about, for anybody listening here, especially if you're from the South, think about your all your hot days. Our hottest day of the year on average is 86 degrees. That's it. 86. That, to me, that's cold. So that's why we don't lose a lot of our moisture. All right. I get this one from Tommy, and he said, speaking about moisture, I'm sure that when the crop is growing that it uses more of the water. But what about in the spring and winter? Doesn't the water drain off faster, causing nearby streams to uh, to fill up faster than they would have if you didn't have tile? Yes. We talk about that all the time. Part of the point of having tile there is to create a reservoir so when you do get rain, it doesn't have to run off. It can soak in. And yeah, you're absolutely right. When there's no crop growing, because, I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, for even here where we say, oh, we got crop growing for a long time. Do we really? We only really have crop growing May, June, July, August, and then we cut silage or September if it's other crop. So we got five months. That means seven months out of the year, there's nothing growing for a lot of people. So I'm just saying, yeah, you think about it. If you don't have any crop growing there, there's nothing sucking the water out. So now it's just left to its own devices. And so it's either going to go down or it's going to run off. All right. Get this from Kendall. And he, he said, you talk about drainage tile and drainage water management. I'm wondering, can you also utilize that in pasture land like hay or sure. area where you're going to graze cattle and sheep and so forth? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think too often... We don't consider that grass is a crop. Pasture is a crop. If we treat it like a crop, if so, this it's always interesting wherever you travel to, what they care about most. So, around here, and as you go east and south a little bit, it's corn. Corn is king. I mean, soybeans is like the secondary crop. In the South, for many farmers I, I work with and talk to, cotton is king, okay? And something else is secondary. But anyway, my point here is if you made pasture your king and you said, I care so much about pasture, I want it to be phenomenal, do I think you could double your, your grass production in pastures? Yes, I do. Part of it certainly is managing that water table, but then, you know, there are a lot of other steps to it, whether it's... Fertility is probably number two. Uh, so we always talk about drainage is one, fertility is two. After that, probably weed control. And then you look at insects, diseases, all the other stuff. All right. Uh, sodium question here. This one comes from TJ. You said, I've heard you guys talk about sodium-based saturation. And you'd like to keep it preferably below one. Yep. We've got some fields where it's as high as 7 to 9%. Oh. This is uh, irrigated ground. It's getting 30 to 45 inches of irrigation per year. We grid sampled the field, uh, and we've got a CEC between 9 and 13. That's good. The field performs just well, or just as well, if not better than other fields around this. So we were thinking that maybe with that high a sodium percentage, we wouldn't have much production, but it's still producing well. Why do you think it's still producing well, even with all that sodium? Because you can flush it out of there. My assumption is your irrigation water is loaded with sodium. So you're flushing a lot of sodium out, and then you're just replacing it with that irrigation water. But your CEC is low. Where we have the biggest problem with sodic soils is when the CEC is high. So when you get a 30 CEC, for example, and let's say you're in North Dakota and you don't get a lot of rainfall, you're not irrigating, you don't have a lot of heats, there's not a lot of time where anything is growing, 
to get rid of that seven to nine percent sodium, it would take forever, and you you would dramatically hurt your yields. So that's my assumption on why it doesn't at this point seem like you're hurting yield bad. But nevertheless, seven to nine percent sodium is not good. So one thing you could do is send your soil test to a different lab and see if that lab also confirms what your one lab says, because maybe that that first lab isn't accurate. I don't know. Or maybe the sample wasn't pulled correctly. But I would say if you are truly at 7 to 9% sodium, you got to do something to get that lowered over time. And you can because, again, you're running lots of water and you got lighter soil. So it's not like a super bad problem. But my first couple things I'm thinking about are, number one, I want to make sure I'm checking my irrigation water and either get better quality water or treat the water somehow, some way. And two, I'm probably going to use more sulfur on that field than I am on my other fields. And the reason why is I want to turn that sodium into a salt. Salts are leachable, and then you can flush more of that sodium out. So when you put sulfate out there with sodium, sodium sulfate is a salt. So that's what we want to do is get that sodium to combine with the sulfate, and then we'll flush it out of there, and then hopefully in time things can be better. Because I'll just say this. Just because you're doing as well as the other fields around it doesn't mean you couldn't do 25% better. Think about that. So he didn't say his yields, Darren, did he? Uh, No. Okay, because I want you to think about this for just a second. If you're in control of the water, then you're in great shape. And why are you not raising record yields instead of raising just good yields? So I'm not saying you're doing a poor job or anything else. I'm just simply saying it's possible to get more out of that soil and to push the yields much higher. But that sodium is going to continue to limit you. And so some of your investments in other things may not pay off as well because that sodium is a hindrance. So all your steps that you are going to take thinking, oh, I'm going to get ahead of the neighbors and all, you might, but it's going to be really hard with that sodium dragging you down. All right. Thanks for the question. This one comes in from Ken E in Northwest Ohio. He said, raising 50 bushel soybeans were low in P and K. We're broadcasting some in the spring this year, but we also want to put some 1034 O on in a two by two with my soybeans. Currently I'm calibrated for 10 gallons per acre. It could be split with water or it could be calibrated for higher gallons. How much 1034 O can I put in a two by two if I'm also broadcasting P and K? On soybeans? I Oh, the CEC is eight. Oh, my gosh. Not much. Nope. Um, What would I put for soybeans? Two gallons, three gallons in a two-by-two? Here's the problem. So if nothing else, at least try your 10 gallons on a little bit, on a little bit. But then do some root digs, and you're going to find that you're burning off those soybean roots right at that point. Now, I don't know if it's going to completely damage the plant, partially damage the plant, or barely damage the plant. I'm not sure. But it would scare me to death in that lighter soil, putting lots of 1034 on there because that's really, 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 really high salt and your roots are going to hit it soon. Hey, thanks for the question, Kenny. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.